Hello, this is Chris. Welcome and thank you for watching this, the second in my series, Jesus and the Law in Matthew, Set Aside or Set in Stone. Hopefully you've seen the first class already, but let's just um, have a quick overview of what we looked at. So we saw a situation in which the Old Testament narrative of Israel is telling us that Israel is still in what we could refer to as a state of exile. Although they physically returned, Israel's sin is still unforgiven and atoned for, as we see in uh, Daniel 9. And we saw two themes related to Israel coming out of exile or having its sins forgiven, they being redemptive suffering and what I've referred to as heart and soul obedience. And we saw in right at the start of Matthew after the genealogy where the narrative of Jesus' birth begins that the angel tells Matthew, sorry, the angel tells Joseph that Mary says, will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So that's the story that is about to unfold, how Jesus will save his people from their sins. So we would expect Matthew, given what I've already said, to reveal how Jesus pays the sin debt, how he undergoes redemptive suffering, a suffering that will lead to the forgiveness of Israel's sins, and how he demonstrates the condition of heart and soul obedience, total obedience of heart and soul demanded for the restoration of Israel after exile. So this second class is entitled Jesus as Israel. <clears throat> so we've just seen that uh, quote from Matthew 1 21 that Jesus will save his people from their sins and what we're going to see is how Matthew appears to depict Jesus as Israel, Jesus in himself somehow embodying Israel and showing a new way to be Israel or the correct way to be Israel. And Jesus appears to relive the story of Israel, but succeeds where Israel failed. So most commentators identify themes in the Gospels, though they don't necessarily agree what they are or in the detail that um, defines them. Um, in the case of Matthew, Lightheart, who I referred to last time, who's written this commentary, Jesus as Israel, identifies three themes that demonstrate how Jesus relates to the old covenant. In other words, how the story of Jesus relates to the story of Israel. The first one, fulfillment, is wide, widely acknowledged, as is the third, um, although there is disagreement over the detail or what they mean. But the second is not one I've come across before. And for me, they provide a useful indication of how to understand the role of the law in the new covenant story. So first of all, fulfillment. So as I say, it's widely recognized that fulfillment is a theme in Matthew. And on this slide and the next one, you can see all the occasions in Matthew on which in which fulfillment occurs and where relevant the uh, Old Testament scripture to which it relates. So we're going to look at uh, the first three and the fifth. So the first one here is the uh, virgin, relates to the virgin birth in Matthew 1, 22, 23. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. 
Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. So Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah 7, and the context of Isaiah's prophecy is that Judah is threatened by Israel and Aram to the north. And God informs the king of Judah, Ahaz, to be faithful or he will fall. God offers a sign as a demonstration of his faithfulness, which is the virgin birth, but Ahaz declines this sign in a display of mock piety, which doesn't fool God. So God goes ahead with the sign of the virgin birth, but it becomes both a sign of deliverance and judgment against Ahaz for his false piety. So we have to assume to have been of any value that the sign of the virgin birth was fulfilled shortly after the prophecy was made in the time of Ahaz. And yet Matthew is telling us that this passage, this historical reference, is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. So both he's telling us that this historical reference about Israel is, a, is fulfilled in Jesus and that the birth of Jesus will signal both deliverance or victory and judgment. The second one is the flight to Egypt in Matthew 2.15, where Matthew says this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And this highlights a very surprising nature of fulfillment as depicted in Matthew and is very significant for the overall theme. So the passage that uh, Matthew is quoting here is Hosea 11.1, 1, where it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. So this is uh, clearly a reference to Israel being described as God's son, as in Exodus 4.22, Israel is my firstborn son. So here in 11, we have God speaking through the prophet and referring back to the Exodus when he called the Hebrew slaves towards the promised land. And yet Matthew is telling us this reference to an historic event in the history of Israel is fulfilled in something that happens to Jesus the man. So a passage about Israel is fulfilled in Jesus and this is where we get the the theme of Jesus is Israel. Jesus becomes or somehow embodies Israel. An apparently historical reference Matthew is telling us is actually a forward-looking prophecy. It's a foreshadowing or a pointing towards a future fulfillment in Jesus. So the implication is that the story, the narrative story of Israel, is in, in itself prophetic, pointing towards Jesus. So if we think about this in more detail, in the original story, God's son, the nation of Israel, flees from Egypt, and yet now... God's son Jesus is fleeing to Egypt so the direction of travel is reversed and in the first story there's a king who kills Hebrew boys Pharaoh but in the second there's a king Herod who kills Hebrew boys so we see this role reversal which appears to be a judgment on Israel Israel has become Egypt so in order to save Israel Jesus must first be saved from Israel so the third uh, um, example of fulfillment is the massacre of the innocents, the incident from which Jesus was 
fleeing by going to Egypt. So in 2, 17 to 18, it says, then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children because she refused, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. So during the Babylonian exile, the deportees were gathered awaiting exile at Ramah near Rachel's grave. So Jeremiah depicts her weeping for them. So again, this is an historical reference to something that has happened in the history of Israel. And Matthew is telling us that this was fulfilled in events concerning the birth and early life of Jesus. The last example we're going to look at, which is the fifth occurrence of fulfillment, is not particularly pertinent to our overall theme, but I just wanted to um, refer to it because it's a very difficult passage to understand. Why did Jesus, who was sinless, need to be baptized? So let's just look at the passage. Matthew 3, 13 to 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. So we see here that um, John has come to the Jordan. So if we think back historically, the Hebrews had to cross from the wilderness through the Jordan into the promised land. And now John has done the reverse. He's crossed the Jordan, gone back to the wilderness, where, of course, Jesus goes into his period of temptation. So we have John and Jesus offering forgiveness, salvation outside the temple system and outside of Israel itself. Now, when we think of this theme of fulfillment, generally we've seen that Matthew uses fulfillment in a prophetic sense. And righteousness, it says here, fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is a covenant term. It means obedience to it. If you're righteous, then you, like God, keep to the terms agreed in the covenant. Um, so although it doesn't say, uh, doesn't use the word prophecy, it seems to suggest when we look at the other uses of the term fulfillment, that perhaps this is why Jesus was baptized, that uh, it was a fulfillment of the Red Sea crossing in order to parallel this uh, history of Israel, Jesus is, is himself being immersed in the water. So in summary of this fulfillment theme, Matthew appears to portray Jesus as Israel, so that the story of Israel is a pointer towards Jesus and a fulfillment in Jesus. Uh, a fulfillment which occurs in the most unexpected of ways. So if the story of Israel pointed to a greater fulfillment in Jesus, does the law also point to a greater fulfillment in Jesus? So the second theme it, uh, concerns the um, structure of Matthew's story of Jesus in terms of its beginning and end so from genealogy to great commission so if we look right at the very first verse of Matthew we see uh, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus but it's important here to appreciate that in 90% of the cases when New Testament authors quote from the Old Testament 
they're quoting from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint or the LXX. And this allowed them to do wordplays. This is why if you often look back to a verse quoted in the New Testament, if you look it up in your Old Testament, it'll be a bit different because our Old Testaments are based on the original Hebrew, whereas what is being quoted is based on the Greek translation. But we see here, if you look at the very first words of Matthew 1.1 and then compare them to Genesis 2.4, which is the first genealogy in the Bible, the genealogy of the heavens and the earth, then you'll see the Greek words are exactly the same. So Matthew, in the way he starts his gospel, his story of Jesus, appears immediately to be pointing us to Genesis, to a new creation story. Something else we have to understand about the Jewish scriptures is that the, uh, although the books of the Jewish canon were the same as our Old Testament, they were in a different order. They called it the, uh, the Tanakh. They categorized it in three um, groupings, the law, the prophets, and pretty much you could say everything else. So it was either called the, the writings properly, but sometimes shortened just to Psalms. And you take the three words, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, and that um, creates the word Tanakh but they were ordered differently. And the last book of the Tanakh is two chronicles. So the very last verse of the Tanakh of the Jewish scriptures is two chronicles 36, 23. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So here, the Jews in captivity have petitioned Cyrus, pointed out that he's in the prophet of um, Isaiah, that he will let them go, and he's, he agrees to it. And so he commissions them to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple, claiming to, to have been given all the kingdoms of the earth by God. And then we see the end of Matthew, passage we're very familiar with, Matthew 28, 18 to 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So both Matthew and the Old Testament end with a commission. In the first case, being sent back to Jerusalem. And then in the case of Jesus and Matthew's gospel, being sent from Jerusalem into the nations. So here we see at the beginning, there's a reference to the creation. Here, there seems to be a reference to end of exile or restoration. So Matthew's gospel begins with the genealogy of Jesus. His gospel ends with the Great Commission. So it seems to be paralleling the whole of Jewish scripture. It starts where Jewish scripture starts. It ends where the Jewish scripture ends. It seems that Matthew is telling us that in some way the story of Jesus encapsulates the whole of Jewish scripture and therefore the whole of the story of Israel. So Matthew presents Jesus as Israel. So the story of Jesus seems to what we just looked at and encapsulate all scripture, that being the story of Israel. So in conclusion, we can say that Matthew appears to be telling us that Jesus as Israel is reliving the story of Israel, but Jesus will succeed where Israel failed. And in terms of this paralleling, Jesus paralleling the story of Israel, we can see the crossing of the Red Sea reflected as we've already looked at in Jesus' baptism, the testing in the wilderness, 
40 years in the case of the Hebrews, slaves, former slaves, 40 days for Jesus. And then very significantly for our theme in this series, where we find the Sinai law giving, we get the Sermon on the Mount in the story of Jesus. Then there's a preparation for conquest with Joshua and the mission of the 12 for Jesus. The wisdom of Solomon in the Old Testament, the parables of the kingdom in Matthew, in which Jesus actually refers to Solomon. We get the period of the divided kingdom after Solomon, and we have Jesus separating a new Israel within Israel, a, a new Israel defined around himself or in himself. And then when Israel goes into exile, Jesus is cast out from the city walls to the cross, whereas the return from exile of the uh, Jews is muted, Jesus returns through resurrection in glory. So the construction of Matthew's gospel suggests that Jesus' life encapsulates the story of Israel, the history of Israel, but also the history of Israel's God. Jesus relives the narrative of Israel succeeding where Israel fell, but also as Israel's God, he experiences rejection by Israel. So overall, we can say that Matthew appears to be showing us that it's not simply the prophets that point forward, but the law and the whole of Jewish scripture points to a fulfillment in Jesus. Now, the idea of the suffering servant we looked at last time, uh, how a widespread Jewish interpretation of those passages in Isaiah was that their suffering in exile and their continuing suffering under pagan rule was in some way going to be redemptive. And although Israel at the time of Jesus is still suffering under Roman rule and is heading for devastating defeat in AD 70, it's actually the suffering of Jesus that will achieve redemption, just as Jesus says in chapter 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many is the life of Jesus that will win redemption. So Jesus' life, death and resurrection encapsulate the Jewish scriptures, the law and the prophets pointed towards Jesus. Jesus is Israel and Jesus relived the story of Israel so that as a new Moses, he will lead his people from slavery. As a new Joshua, he will lead a new conquest. As the God of Israel, he will be rejected, exiled on the cross, but in resurrection, he will return from exile victorious. So the third example now, the discourses of Jesus. So Matthew groups the teachings of Jesus into five speeches, in effect, known as the discourses. And the fact that there's five would appear to be, or is widely understood to be, a reflection on the five books of the Jewish law. So in some way telling us that Jesus's teaching is a new law, or in some way is pointing us to think about it in the context of the law. And uh, Lightheart believes that we should understand these to have been presented in a chiasmus form, which is like a reflection. It's to do with the letter X. So you can see I've indicated C, B, A, B, C. So the Sermon on the Mount is paired up with the uh, woes of, the, of Matthew 23 to 25. So we have, we talked last time about blessings and curses here, blessings and woes, pretty much the same Things. So they're paired together. So in the same way that uh, Moses laid before the people the choice between blessing or curse through obedience or disobedience, Jesus, Matthew, 
is lighthearted, suggesting Matthew is telling us he's making this, laying out the same choice to people, follow me or reject me, you make your choice. So in Deuteronomy 30, we have God speaking through Moses saying, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and the length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. So, Jesus as Moses now, we, we think of the pattern of Moses' life. He leads the people from slavery uh, into freedom, establishes a covenant relationship between them and God, and having laid out the terms of the covenant relationship, he calls on the people to be, choose between life and death. And then he departs looking over at the promised land, but not entering it. So he departs leading the people to conquer the land. Then we see the same parallel in Jesus. Jesus will lead his people from exile, as in we saw in the first chapter, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus does this as the, the true Passover lamb, fulfillment of the original Passover lamb. He establishes a new covenant relationship defined in himself and again calls the people to choose between life and death, choose to accept his teaching and accept him or reject both. And then he departs with the Great Commission, leaving his followers to conquer the world. So Jesus, now speaking under his own authority, offers a new choice. The choice is about how to be Israel. Israel wants God's help to be Israel as it desires in sense of worldly power, um, defeating the Romans and lording it over the pagan nations around it. But Jesus is offering a new way of being Israel that will finally lead to the end of exile and to restoration. So in summary then, the story of Israel is prophetic with regard to Jesus. God in Jesus became Israel in order to save Israel. Jesus as Israel relives the story of Israel. He's obedient to God's will and his suffering is redemptive. So next time in class three, which is entitled Set Aside or Set in Stone, we will consider one of the main passages, Matthew 5, 17 to 20, which is seen by advocates of the Hebrew Roots Movement to be a passage that demands that we continue to embrace and practice the Jewish law. Until then, thank you very much.